Well, happy Sunday afternoon, almost Sunday morning. Thanks for being at Northridge this weekend. I'm already beyond this service to the afternoon. You know, it's great to have you here in Plymouth. Thank you so much for choosing to be in person. For those of you at our regional campuses as well, Grosseal and Brighton, so grateful that you're there. But we're a bigger church family than just those who you, whom you see. And so welcome to all of you who are online. We're just grateful that you've chosen to worship Jesus together with us as the Northridge family. And we're in a series, a very important series, called On God. It's all about realigning our thoughts to not our feelings about God, not our cultural's view, culture's view of God, but to God's clear biography, who he really is. It's all on God. And this weekend, as you already saw in that video bumper, we're addressing one of the less complex, more simple issues, love. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if it was less complex and more simple? The truth is, it's the single most difficult issue for us as human beings to wrestle through, to work through. Because it's the one thing that we long for most, and it's the one thing that we tend to experience the least in the way it's supposed to be experienced. And you, you can know this. All you have to do is, I mean, watch the great movies or even some of the pitiful movies that have come out through the years. Watch literature, listen to music, look at art. And most of it centers on this issue, this longing we have, often the disappointments we experience with love. I mean, if we're really, really honest, Though every single human being, every single one of us longs for love, not simplistic, superficial love, but, you know, the deep and genuine love of life, very few of us ever really experience it. And I can know this because I've heard a couple of country music songs. And, uh, you know, I mean, they make it clear. I just thought it was time I hammer country music again. It's been a while and needed you know my views. A lot's changed during the pandemic. My views of country music have not. Just I thought I'd make that clear. But we may along the way find some love in part or in particular moments, but it generally, for most of us, won't last. It certainly won't go as deep as it should. I mean, more often than not, the love we experience comes with contingencies in this human experiment we're in. You know, contingencies like, you know, how do you look? How do you perform? Are you rising up to the needs or expectations of another person? And if not, bye-bye. Love is now gone, no matter what the promises were. And can we just be honest with each other? This is the sad reality of our human experience. In fact... As a human being who's experienced my own set of disappointments with this issue of love, as a pastor, I've seen it in just so many lives. Most of the brokenness that we experience in life comes from the disappointments we experience in this area right here, love. But this weekend's truth can change that for us if we come to grips with it. And the truth is this, God is love. Now, that is three simple words, but it is not a simple truth. It is not an unimportant or spurious truth. 
This is the rock-solid foundation of what we need, what's missing in our lives. God is love, which means that everything we long for, whether expressed in art or music or in our own internal longings, everything we long for when it comes to love, everything what we're missing when it comes to love, all the incompleteness of it in our life stems from the fact that we have not been able to develop or find a relationship with God who is love. That's where it's found. That's where we'll finally experience it. That's why this search for God thing that we're on, and that's why this, this journey of knowing God better that many of us are pursuing is so vitally important. It's God is the missing component in our lives when love is missing. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We can't know and rely on love that other humans have. It's always going to come up short, but we can know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. When love is missing, he's the one that's missing. When love's missing in my own personal life, it's because he is somehow missing in my personal life. I'm missing him. When it's missing in our marriages or our families or in our friendships or in our spiritual communities or wherever it is, it's because God is missing in part or in total. And I want you to see that God loves the right way. We long to be loved the right way. We long to love the right way. But as human beings, we always come up short. But God loves the right way. And the right way is completely, entirely, in totality. God loves us. And I, I just want you to see it so that you can kind of embrace the idea. God loves personally. And by that, I just mean he loves. We look for intimacy and love, and God loves in the most personal ways. He cares deeply about each and every single one of us. You know, who we are, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. He cares about us personally, not what we can do for him, but what he can do for us. And he doesn't just love personally, he loves permanently. Every single one of us, well, that's probably not true. Most of us have at least experienced touches of love, touches of personal love and intimacy. But as you know, it doesn't matter how deep of an experience it might have been, it's, it's never permanent. Roxanne and I have been married 41 years, and man, we have a love that's still going and still growing, and it's the thing that we both treasure the most in our life, but she could only wish that for the entire 41 years it was permanent, you know? In fact, she tells me of our 41 years of marriage, she says 40 of the happiest years of her life. <laughs> a couple of days missing in there. But God loves completely, permanently. And, and just look at the passage, the passage about him loving us personally. Look at 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, this personal love. Here's how great it is that we should be called children of God. No matter who we are and what we've done, he wants us in his family. And I know there were moments my dad didn't want me in his family. 
And I know for a fact there are moments when I didn't want my kids in my family. I mean, just we've all disappointed each other. There are times when my kids didn't want me to be their dad. But God wants us to be his kids. He's personal and it's permanent. Look at Psalms 36 verse 7. How priceless is your unfailing love, God. It's permanent. His love is never retracted. It's never pulled back from us because it's not based on anything that can change it. And I tell you, there are times I feel like he's pulling back his love. Aren't there times that you feel like he's holding out on you? In fact, the, the, the more messed up my behavior becomes, the more I feel like he doesn't love me as much anymore. But that's a feeling. It's not a truth. And it's a feeling based upon the reality I've experienced with other people. Have you ever experienced this? You disappoint someone one too many times and they love you less now for it. Have you ever been there? I have. And so I kind of feel that way with God, but it's a feeling not based in fact because the fact is God's love is unfailing. Nothing can change his complete love towards me. He loves permanently, and it goes beyond that. He loves without partiality. Wouldn't it be great if that was true in our world? Wouldn't the primary issue that we're wrestling with as a culture right now be solved if we loved this way? I mean, look at Romans 2.11. For God does not show favoritism. He doesn't love with partiality. He, he, he's without partiality in his love to age and race and politics, nationality, religion, achievements, appearance, talents, economics, and the list goes on. We love each other according to those things or don't love each other according to those things by nature, but God loves without partiality. Though, though we long for this kind of love, you just need to know it's not typical. You're not alone in not experiencing this as a natural course of your life. You're not alone at knowing the brokenness that comes from missing this in your life. We all are there. So, since we have the longing for love, it's a part of all of our art and music. We have such a longing for love. It's what each and every one of us desperately is on the search for. The fact that we don't experience it means there's a problem, right? There's a problem. And the issue is that many of us think the problem's with God. Maybe he doesn't exist after all. Or maybe he's not who he says he is. Or maybe this, he's disappointing us. He's not doing what a God of love should do. And what we're doing is judging him based upon the flawed capacities we've experienced from one another and that we offer ourselves. But, but God is not like us. God's love is perfect. He's not the problem. We're the problem. And what is our problem? Well, it boils down to this one word right here, sin. Now, that's a weird word in our world. It's a word that we don't hear very often in our culture. When was the last time your boss brought you in and fired you because you sinned? Yeah, that's just not normal. We don't do that. But sin is the reality of all of our lives, and it just simply means that, that we have lived contrary to God's ways. We have 
done life without him. We've, we've chosen to do our thing, not his thing. Be about us and not him. And every one of us to degrees is there. The Bible says, for all have sinned. And you need to know that sin, which so many of us don't understand, which so many of us don't even acknowledge, that sin in our life keeps us from experiencing and expressing his love. The thing that we long for most. The thing that we were designed to desperately need. Sin keeps us from experiencing it. Look at how the Bible says it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from God. And now we're sharing it with you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. No sin, no shame, no guilt, no, nothing contrary to what he has said is true. And so if we claim to have fellowship with him, that word fellowship means community, relationship with him. If we claim to be genuinely experiencing his love, but we're still walking in darkness, there are still elements of sin, parts of our life contrary to him, we lie and do not live by the truth. You just need to know sin, when we choose to live without him or compromise his truth or do life our way instead of his way, sin separates us from the thing we need most in this world, his love. Sin puts a wall up between us and God. We've rejected him, and without God, you just need to know our love is dysfunctional. It has to be. Functional love is the love like God who loves in eternally in a personal, permanent, and impartial way. A love that gives instead of takes, but, but think about it. Because we're missing his love, what only he can give us, we're having to fill up our lives with other things, and this is why we take instead of giving. This is why we abuse each other, betray each other, and break our promises. It's because what we're doing is we're, we're realizing we're incomplete without something more. And if you're not doing it for me, then someone else will do it for me. It's dysfunctional. And it all stems from this fact that without God's love, God is love, we can never experience the one thing we need most, love. Our problem is sin. And there's nothing we can do to solve it. But because of his love, he did. You need to know he's the only one that could solve it. And, and here's the solution. Forgiveness. Now, if we don't experience forgiveness from God, we can never experience his love or express it to others because we're separated from him. Sin separates us from him. So how did he bring forgiveness? Well, this is why Jesus came in the first place. So the wages of sin is death. He died in our place. He took the judgment, the penalty of our sin on himself. And then when he rose again, he rose so that he could forgive us and give us new life. And that's the solution because forgiveness opens the door to experiencing his love, the one thing we need. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read two verses. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Come on, be kind and love one another. How? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The way we can love others is by experiencing God's love. And the way to experiencing God's love is through forgiveness, which we can then give to others. 
And then chapter 5, verse 2, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I, I just need to say this. It might not seem like this to you, but it's just so true. It's a no-brainer that we should turn to God for his forgiveness because it's the solution to all of our brokenness in the end, to what we're missing most, his love. His forgiveness solves our problem. It opens the door to what we're missing most, his love. Have you experienced it? Now be careful here because there are a ton of people who claim that they've experienced his love. They've claimed that they've experienced his forgiveness. They claim that they know God, but there's no indication of it at all. Nothing has changed in their life. Now, if someone goes from experiencing no love and thus being broken and dysfunctional themselves to experiencing complete and perfect love from within, you'd expect a change, wouldn't you? They'd start changing in their behavior. They'd no longer be living dysfunctional, broken lives. And yet, so many who call themselves Christians, Jesus followers, whatever word you'd attach to it, are still living just as dysfunctional in how they express love as they did before. Churches filled with anger and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and people of arrogance who think they're better than other people. It's crazy, and yet they know Jesus' love. No, they don't. It's impossible. What we have to understand is that forgiveness opens the door, but not everybody who claims it or thinks they have it really has, because here's the result when we experience forgiveness for our problem sin. The result is that love becomes the natural expression of our lives, because love is the natural expression of those experiencing his love. I mean, if you're experiencing the fullness of love, you're no longer having to fill your life with cheap alternatives, cheap replacements. You, you now have love to give and you're overflowing and you're going to love others and if you're not then there's a problem with the love of God in your life and just so you know I'm not making this up this is what God says look at first John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 dear friends let's love one another come on it's obvious if we've experienced his love we should love one another for love comes from God look at verse 8 everyone who genuinely loves has been born of God and knows God because that's where love comes from. God is love. But whoever does not love does not know God. In spite of what they sing, in spite of what they say, in spite of what they claim, in spite of how they look, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I don't care what people tell me about themselves. I care how people live. How about you? People tell another person every day of the year, I'll love you rich or poor, healthy or sick, until death do us part. People say all kinds of crap. That's not true. But do they really love with God's kind of love or not? A great example of this is Jesus gave it to us. I'll give you the passage. I hope you'll read it on your own later this week. But it's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 47. And Jesus was showing us this point. And in this passage, what happens is Jesus goes to a party 
of a really big wig religious leader. And he, though he's at this party, the big wig religious leader totally, and you can see how Jesus says it, but dis Jesus, rejected him, made it clear that he didn't think he was anybody important. And then at the same party, a sinful woman, the Bible calls her, totally defined by sin, it's the only way she could be known, she was really messed up in her life, came in and fell on her knees behind Jesus, the passage says, and she was weeping in love for him so much that then she could wash his feet with her tears. And then she perfumed his feet and just worshiped him. And the religious leader in the story, Jesus says, was thinking to himself, if he was a spiritual guy, he'd know this woman was sinful and he'd stay away. And Jesus, knowing what he's thinking, says, you know, and he tells a story. There was a guy who was owed by two different people. And one of these people, the debt was so big it could never be paid back. The other, it was kind of a minor debt. And Jesus says the guy that was owed forgave them both their debts. Which one who was forgiven a debt would love him more? And the religious leader said it right. The one who was forgiven the big debt would love more. And he says that's exactly right. And then he says, and the reason you've dismissed me and rejected me is because though you put on the act that you know the love of God, you don't at all. And the reason she's like this is because she's acknowledged her need and she's experienced it. Look at Luke chapter 7, 47. Just listen to these words. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Her great love showed clearly that she had experienced forgiveness, God's love. But then he says, as for you, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I, she expressed a deep level of love because she had experienced God's love deeply through forgiveness. And the religious leader expressed no love because in spite of his claims and his image, he hadn't generally experienced God's love and forgiveness at all. Uh, here's the question. Which one better pictures you? I, I just need you to understand, we can't give a love we don't have. And that's where the religious leader was. He had religion. He just didn't have God's love. How about you? And so I want to get to the application. How can God's love ultimately change our lives? Well, let me share it a couple of ways. In order to fully experience God's love, we need to start here. We need to choose God's forgiveness because that's the solution to our problem. God's love will never experience God or his love until we're forgiven because sin is the wall. It's the block. So this is where we have to start. Not by choosing to be religious, not by choosing new resolutions, but by choosing like the sinful woman to acknowledge I'm broken and messed up and I need your forgiveness. Have you gotten there? So many religious people are so proud of all they've done that they don't think they need forgiveness. No wonder religion can still be filled with so much darkness and dysfunction. 
We need to choose God's forgiveness. Look at 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God because we didn't, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. Have you chosen his forgiveness? I don't know about you, but I kind of have to choose on a daily basis to pray like Jesus taught me to pray. Forgive me my debts as I choose to forgive others their debts. Help me to experience your love again, which I've blocked by my behavior so that I can express your love to others again. If we're really going to fully experience his love, then once we've chosen forgiveness, we need to choose to love God with all our heart. And this is what the sinful woman did in that story of Jesus. It's once she experienced a healing of her heart and the fullness of love, the love that had been missing in her life so long, she gave him every part of her heart. Every part. I mean, you've given your whole heart when you're weeping so much at someone's feet that you can wash their feet with your hair and then you perfume them. Give me a break. Look at Matthew 22. Jesus says we have to love God with all our heart if we're going to truly experience his love in its ultimate form. Jesus was asked what the greatest command is, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Are you? Maybe a better question is, can you? The religious guy couldn't. It was the forgiven sinful woman that could. Can you? Are you? And then, if we're really going to fully experience his love, this isn't how we get his love, but if we're going to fully experience his love, it's going to continually flow through us, then we need to choose to love others with God's love. The minute I start damming up his love in my life, hoarding it in my life, not allowing it to flow through me to help others is the minute I'm no longer experiencing the fullness of his love. And think about how many people who call themselves Jesus followers do nothing to express unconditional love to others. Sad. We need to choose to love others with God's love which is personal and permanent and without partiality. Look at Matthew 22, 39. Jesus says, second, the second greatest command, it's equal to the first. It's going to come naturally if you love God with your, your whole heart is to love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, that's missing in our world, isn't it? Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. This really makes it clear. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of love. God is love, the Father of compassion. And because he's the Father of love, he's the God of all comfort because when you love someone, what you're trying to do is comfort them. And then he says, who comforts us with his love in all of our troubles, in all of our hurts, in all of our difficulties. Why? Yes, because he loves us, but here's the consequence, so that we can comfort those in any trouble around us with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He pours his love out to us so that we can do what? Pour his love out to others 
it's the natural thing. We need to choose to love others with God's love. Now, I don't know about you, but I can hear those words, but it doesn't automatically mean it's clear for me. I have to, I have, to have it to find out a little bit better. So, so let's, what's it look like if I'm choosing to love others with God's love? What's it look like if I've really been forgiven for my sin and started experiencing God's love, and I'm loving him with my whole heart, and now I'm wanting to pour his love out for others? What does that look like? And the reason I have to ask this, I have to ask myself, do I look like that? And you should be asking yourself, do I look like this? Well, if we're really choosing to love others with God's love, we're going to choose to love those who are hurting. The religious leader didn't care about that hurting lady. He, he thought he was going to catch what she had. Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus is telling us the difference between those who truly know God's love and those who don't is seen in how they treat those who are hurting. He says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, those who are hurting the most, discounted the most, when you show love to them, you're doing it for me. Do you know how our world would change if those who know Jesus lived this way? That which is missing most would be found in them. We'd go from darkness to light. And I have to tell you, this is the heart we need to have as Jesus followers and as his church. This is what we need to be defined by. Not our politics, not our partisan views, not our news channels, not our hatred for whatever, but by this. And so I have to just tell you, I mean, it is in our passion and our vision and our desire to try to keep this as our focus at Northridge, you know, loving those who are hurting. We're not perfect at it. This whole love thing, we're far from perfect at it. In fact, counsel to you as a church family, if you'd like to get closer to it, get rid of me as the pastor, we might move ahead. You know, it's like, we're not perfect at this. But with that in mind, we want to keep growing in this. And so we're going to continue what we started before Easter and what we were calling our kindness emphasis, where we were going to show kindness in our sphere of influence so that we could show people his love in our world and it might attract them to Jesus ultimately? Well, we're going to go a step beyond now. We're making May show them his love month here at Northridge. I mean, it's like we're going to make May show them his love month. Not because after May we don't have to show love anymore, but it's the catalyst to get us going, you know, moving forward, build a new habit. And so we're going to be rolling out information in the upcoming weeks as we move closer to May about the many compassion projects we're going to be able to be involved in together in our community, here in our region in Detroit and the outward regions of this metropolitan area. We're really excited about it. But for now, until the details come out, you can be looking in social media, waiting for eConnects, looking on our website, but before they come out, you should be readying your heart and preparing your heart to be involved in showing his love. And I, I just can't wait to see how God's going to use us to make such a huge difference in our communities when we choose to show his love to those who are hurting and need help. And I hope you'll be a part of it. But it doesn't end there. What's it look like if I'm really choosing to love others with God's love? Well, it means I'm going to choose to love those who have hurt me. We're going to choose to love those who have hurt us. Now, I don't know about you. Even if I'm not loving people who are hurting, uh, 
I at least acknowledge that makes sense. That'd be a good thing. But someone tells me I should love those who've hurt me, and I start bucking against that just a bit because I've got mighty grand plans of how to take them down. Don't you? I mean, when it comes to my natural expressions, when they've hurt me, my dysfunctional broken love, when I'm not experiencing God's love, says I'll feel better when I hurt them more. And we do this in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our churches, in our world. But if we've really experienced God's love, his forgiveness, and we really have given our whole heart to him, and if we really are making the choice to love others with his love, we'll choose to love those who've hurt us. Are you? I mean, just look at what the Bible says about this. Ephesians 4:32 again. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And how do we express our love? By forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Who are we supposed to be showing love and compassion to? Those we have to forgive. Those who've hurt us. Are you? Jesus is a great example of this. He had been beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross and stripped naked and hung on a cross in front of a multitude of people watching people gamble over his clothing and listening to people mock him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. God's love is expressed towards those who hurt others. Is that how you love? If we're really going to make the choice to love others as God loves, then we should choose to love those who are different than us. And it's really sad. This is one of the darkest parts of our culture these days, this division and separation and hatred that's coming between people who are so different. And it's existed a long time. And now it's just really wreaking havoc. But James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, those of you who've experienced God's love, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. We need to love like God loves. And if we're really going to choose to love others with God's kind of love, then we need to choose to love those who have totally messed up their lives. Again, I just go to Jesus' story in Luke 7. That religious guy betrayed the reality of his broken heart that he didn't really know God. He betrayed it by despising the sinful woman. If he'd known God's love, what would he have wanted to do? He would have wanted to go and wrap his arms around her and help her and minister to her and share God's love with her, but instead he wanted nothing to do with her and thought that's the spiritual thing to do. It's not the spiritual thing to do. It's the evil thing to do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, that which separates them from God and from his love, you who live by the Spirit, you who are experiencing God's love should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. We have to always remember how weak we are. And shouldn't this be the easy way to express love, knowing how messed up we are? The problem is, very often in the context of religion, we start thinking we're better than we are and we're better than others. 
which is what makes love dysfunctional in the first place. I think the best way to bring this conversation down before we move to baptism and worship, I think the best way is by just reminding you of this foundational truth. You know, God is love, right? And we all want great gifts in this world. We're all wanting God to give us things in this world. We're, we all have these dreams about if we got that, then we'd be happy in this world. But I, I just think I need to remind you as our art and our literature and our media and our music makes clear, love's the biggest issue in life and we're missing it. And so I just want to remind you this weekend that the greatest love gift ever given, the gift we need more than any other, is Jesus. This is not a side issue. This is not a superficial secondary issue. This is not a cute little religious thing to say. God is love, and the only way we can experience his love is through forgiveness, and the only way we can experience his forgiveness is through what Jesus did for us out of love on the cross by dying for our sins. Jesus is the greatest love gift. He's what we need. Do you have him? And I just want you to know, you don't have to work for him. You don't have to try and earn him. That's just not the point, because God gave him to us. The greatest love gift ever given has been given. God gave Jesus to us. As John 3.16 says it, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever, you, me, our neighbor, whoever, would believe on him wouldn't perish, wouldn't live in the darkness and devastation of their sin, but instead would have eternal life, experience the forgiveness of his love. Have you experienced it? So many people answer that question with, yeah, I go to church. I'm religious. You know, I've done a bunch of spiritual things. I give, none of that matters. The religious guy did more of that than you and I will ever be able to do, and yet he didn't know God's love. The real question comes down to, have you ever just put your trust in him like the sinful woman did? Let him change your heart. And if not, before I give you the last thought and we move to baptism and worship, I'm just going to ask you if you'd pray with me just for a moment. Would you just, wherever you're at, online or here in person, would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? And if you're here and you've never experienced Jesus forgiving you and giving you the love of God that you so desperately need, won't you pray with me right now? Just take my words and make my words your words to God. Just say, Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. I have sinned. I've lived contrary to your way. I've lived without you. And I've missed your love, which I need more than anything. So I'm putting my faith in you right now, asking you to forgive me based on your death on that cross and to give me new life, the new life of your resurrection. And I pray that in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed with me online or in person, let us know. We want to send you information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. We'd love to send you a portion of the Bible, the New Testament. And all you have to do is text us. Just follow, text us to the number on your screen. And the one word message is Northridge, the name of our church. We'd love to connect with you that way. But let, let me just give you one last thing. So the greatest love gift ever given was Jesus. God's already given them to us. God's already given the solution to the world's problems to us. And so the next thought I just would love to share with you and leave with you is that we need to share 
him with others. I tell you what the world needs. You know how the song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Now you know why I'm not on the music team. But anyway, here's the thing. It's what the world needs, but the world's never going to get it the way they're searching for it. The only way they'll ever get it is by knowing Jesus. And the only way they'll ever meet Jesus is if those of us who really know Jesus share Jesus with them. Are you? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself, allowed us to be back in relationship with him, experiencing his love through Christ. And then once we've experienced his love, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to help others be in right relationship with us. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's now our ministry. It's our life, our calling. And can I tell you the best way to share Jesus and his love with other people, the best way is to show them his love. Because that's what they're missing. That's what they need most. They need to see something contrary to the brokenness they've experienced in life. Show them his love because they want to experience it too. i just give you an example and then we'll go into baptism. There's an 11-year-old young man in our ministry here at Northridge these days and his name is Stefan. And he first experienced the love of Jesus through a couple here at Northridge who are involved in our adoption and foster care ministry. And because of that, they brought Stefan into their lives and hearts and home as a foster kid. And by the way, if I could just say as an aside, it's a phenomenal ministry. And if you'd like information on it, I just really encourage you to go to the link that you see on the screen right now and check it out. It's a brilliant ministry. But this special couple, they're the Schultzes, and Stefan endearingly calls them Gia and Papa. I mean, it's beautiful. Well, Stefan attended Northridge with them and participated in Ridge Kids, our ministry here, where he experienced and was told about the love of Jesus, and he actually asked Jesus into his heart on November 24th, 2019, here at Northridge Church. This, this little orphan kid this had been born into a very difficult family circumstance, had now experienced love through these people. They showed him his love, and he found Jesus. Since then, Stefan's been attending uh, all kinds of things in our ministry, starting point and learning about what it means to know Jesus and preparing for baptism. He's had the opportunity to attend Royal Family Kids Camp through Northridge. And it's interesting, it's at that camp that he first met the woman who would become his mom. His new family came through that ministry contact. They're the Katie family. And 
His adoption was finalized on December 22nd, 2020. And here's the deal. You thought nothing good happened in 2020? Are you crazy? Stefan was adopted because of the love of Jesus Christ in 2020. That's pretty good. And what's really cool, this orphan kid lost in the foster system who experienced the love of Jesus because of Gia and Papa and then met his new family through the love of Jesus, became not just a child of the Cades, but a brother because on January 9th, 2021, his little brother Milton was born. And we thought we'd show you some pictures. Here's Stefan with the Cades and Milton. And here's Stefan holding his brother Milton. I mean, it's just crazy, right? And now, Stefan attends Northridge with his family, and last night we were given the very, very special privilege of being a part of Stefan getting baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. And this was last night here at the Plymouth campus. And I have to tell you, watching this happen, knowing the love he was missing and now the love he's found because of Jesus, that is a moment to celebrate right there. It's an awesome, life-changing moment. And remember this is just one beautiful story of what can happen when we show his love to others. In fact, as we watch now, some of those who attend Northridge now get baptized. I want to remind you that every single one of them found the love of Jesus because someone showed them the love of Jesus in their life. They shared Jesus with them. And for those of you here who don't know, baptism is not the way we get to know Jesus' love. It's the way we get to express that we love him. He forgives us when we believe in him, and then we try to please him, and baptism is what he wants us to do. And so I'm so excited about celebrating. If there's ever a moment we should celebrate, it's when people find the love of Jesus that they need. And if there's ever a time we should worship God, it's when we see his work alive in people's lives. And so as we see these being baptized, let's celebrate with cheers and whistles and let's worship the God who makes it possible. And don't ever forget this truth. God is love. Let it change your world.